Welcome to the Awakening Podcast. You can find all our episodes on awakeningpodcast.org where we have truth tellers, not whistleblowers, where we have facts and not conspiracy theories. You can find all our episodes on awakeningpodcast.org. I also have the Meditation Podcast, the Learn Polish Podcast, and the Speaking Podcast, and all can be found on roycollum.com. Today, I have a lovely guest who's homeopathic doctor. Please. Well, welcome. we're not allowed to be called a doctor. Well, I do. <laughs> For me, <laughs> please welcome Diane Elms. Well, I'm so glad to be here. And, um, you know, when I was thinking about this, I've done lots of um, information sessions. I post a lot of things. And sometimes, honestly, I get tired. I get tired of trying to get information across. But my real hope is that people will listen to it. And from that, be able to make decisions for themselves and be able to gain some information. Um, specifically, you know, some of the things we're going to be talking about is the cancer and cancer act and all that kind of stuff. But just to, just to understand, like, why? Why would that happen? Why would these things be put in place? And why, why is it that we're in the same place so many years later and so much money spent on cancer and cancer research, well, I think I have some answers for you. Yeah, definitely. And maybe perhaps just tell the audience uh, who you are, how, where your practice and stuff like that, so that they, they know who they're listening to. Okay. So my name's Diane Elms. I am a homeopath, but I didn't start out as a homeopath. I actually started out as um, a natural healthcare practitioner, background in iridology. And I know some people don't understand iridology, but it's what got me well. And back in 1995, I was sick. I had a muscular challenge. Um, I'd always been athletic all my life. And in uh, 1995, I was lifting photography equipment. So that was my background. I was a professional photographer. And uh, so I thought maybe I pinched a nerve or something like that. But within a short period of time, I lost the ability of my arms and legs. So um, through 18 months of being tested with everything and being told it was in my head and you know, I had no strength. And at times I couldn't walk. I couldn't lift my arms to comb my hair. I'd spasm all the time and um, things that went on. So after being told there was no cure, I had a, so I had a muscle biopsy done in my arm and my leg at McMaster University in Hamilton. I was told there was no cure. They didn't know what was wrong with me. I'd have to live with the pain and I'd be in a wheelchair the rest of my life. So I'm stubborn and I'm glad I'm stubborn. But that's actually how I got into complementary health. It wasn't something that I, you know, was raised and thought, oh, this would be something I like to do. No, I believe that this is my journey and this is my path of what I was supposed to do. So with that, um, someone mentioned iridology. I went, I thought it was weird. I didn't like the way it was explained. And it actually went against my faith base, the way they said I was going to go for a reading. And so, you know, words are very, very important and how words come across. So um, I was given no options. I was told I'd be in a wheelchair the rest of my life. So I went to the iridologist. Everything just made sense. I studied iridology. So from that, understanding the base of the human body and anatomy and physiology, I truly believe that people can get well. So with iridology, I could see mental emotional challenges that were going on in people's body. And I think that plays a lot in cancer as well. So I'll tie that in. Um, so 
I went on and I really felt that I needed um, a better tool to work with people. And that's when I went back to school at the age of 50, spent a lot of money to go back to school and a lot of time. Most people at the age of 50 aren't spending money, they're saving money, but <laughs> I was the opposite. And uh, so I went back to school, got my diploma in homeopathic medicine and medical health sciences. So, you know, I have a nutritional background and that comes from the iridology, but I also have a holistic knowledge. And it's important to understand that as a homeopath, I'm really restricted to what I can say and do as a homeopath. And that is true. We are completely restricted from using words. So here's an example. I have extensive knowledge in drugless cancer care. So I use the word specialist because the word by definition for specialist is that you have accumulated um, hours of knowledge in that field, correct? But unfortunately, I was told that I couldn't use the word specialist because it is a medical term. I didn't know that specialist was a medical term. So I was told that I could only use the word I have experience in drugless cancer care. So that's what I mean is by restricted. And so even in some of the protocols and things I do with my patients uh, with drugless cancer care, um, I have to make a disclaimer. I have a special disclaimer that says these things do not follow under being a homeopath. So, you know, in that aspect, but yeah, you can go to, you know, a store, you could go to um, like Cole's bookstore and pick up books like this one, like cancer salves, you can buy this. And, but if I say that I'm going to use it because I'm a homeopath, then I get in trouble. But yet you can find this information everywhere. So I have to make that, that people understand as a homeopath, I'm allowed to use homeopathic medicine and I have that base and everything else I do is under a holistic healthcare practitioner. Interesting. And just on the uh, aridology, um, because I remember I went only once, I never even knew about, but it's basically that it's looking at the eye and like they zoom it up on a computer and you can actually see what's wrong with a person based on the, the eye, yeah? So um, I don't use a computer program. I'm still old school. I use a magnifying glass and a light. I do take a picture and I, uh, with my camera and I keep it as a uh, record so that I can see changes over time. But I still do it from a magnifying glass and a light. And um, I believe that my photography background of looking at film is kind of like how I look at the iris of the eye and uh, being able to see it. So um, iridology is actually a neural optic reflex. So how I explain to my patients who have no knowledge of iridology is I say, if I touched you, how do you know I touched you? You can feel it, right? Yeah. yeah. So you can feel it, but how do you know? It goes to your brain. It's, it's like, you know, there. I touched you, it goes to your brain, you understand that. So then the premise is that then that message to the brain then has a reflection into the iris of the eye to tell us what's going on. And because I am a faith-based person, I believe that God was probably smart enough to give us some kind of an evaluation tool without actually cutting a body open to see what's going on. <laughs> right? Yeah. So when I take a photograph of the iris of the eye, I can actually see systems of the body 
and they form rings, or I can see parts of the body and they for, form lines or markers coming out from the iris of the eye. So it depends on what it is. Different colors mean different things, different markers mean different things. And so by doing that, but it also helps me to know on a mental emotional state where the person is because different organs of the body reflect different emotions. And so by knowing that, you know, I have that evaluation tool and then I have homeopathy and all my other skills as a natural practitioner to help people. Yeah. So it is pretty fascinating. And um, so, yeah, so when I do a full consultation, I always do an iridology evaluation and, and I have patients from around the world. And as long as they can send me a good, clean photo of their irises, then I can do an evaluation through that. And then I do a lot of stuff just like this on Zoom or whatever, right? Because many people can't come to my office. Yeah, yeah. to be able to do yeah, it. So. That's, that's fantastic mm -hmm. that, that, that you yeah, can yes. do that. Oh, brilliant. Yeah. So I know that uh, we want to talk about the big C because uh, I've carried enough coffins of people that I believe mm -hmm. they shouldn't be, they, they died before their time because of a corrupt industry. And I know it's something that you're fighting, you know, passionately for and rightly so. So you might let us know because there was the uh, Cancer Act in Ontario. Correct. So what happened was as a regulated healthcare practitioner, I would see patients coming to my office. So one of my studies that I had to take was called labs. And I had a professor who taught about, so if your patient has these symptoms, these are the blood work you should be ordering. Okay. And uh, stuff like that. So I had an extensive background and understanding that because that fascinated me. And so I actually put together cancer markers of what people should be getting done. And one of the markers that my professor talked about was a marker called CEA, cancer antigen antibodies. So we all have this protein in our body. Does that surprise you? That we actually all have a cancer protein in our body. We do. And so with that being said, my premise was, okay, if we have a cancer protein marker in our body, and when I looked it up, um, when people are going through a traditional treatments like chemotherapy and radiation, they actually monitor some cancer markers. And one of them is the CEA to see if the person's getting better, right? Mm -hmm. So for men, if they have a prostate issue, they have a cancer marker that's called PSA, prostate specific antigen. So they would get that marker, you know, tested on a regular basis to see if their PSA is going up. So if you do it for PSA, why wouldn't you do it for an overall marker in the whole body? So my, when I would ask my patients to ask their general practitioner to um, order the test for them, I got everything from, I don't even know what that is. So that's pretty sad that physicians don't know what the CEA blood test is in general. So I can only talk about Ontario, right? Because that's where I am, mm -hmm. right? But I know this goes beyond and it, and it actually... Some of this actually started from England and then got passed down to Canada and Ontario. So, um, so my premise was if this marker is something they monitor while they are under treatment, why are we not monitoring this just like you would go and get your cholesterol monitored or your glucose monitored? Why are you not monitoring this over time? And if this marker goes up, wouldn't that make you think that something's going on in your body, cancer-wise? 
that was my premise, right? Mm-hmm. And I understand the CEA blood test is not a perfect marker. No marker is. And you should never just go by one blood test. You need to have multiple times done and be able to monitor. So I'm not saying it's the best thing ever. That's not what I'm saying. But if you look it up, the Canadian Cancer Society says the CEA blood test is actually used uh, primarily for colorectal cancer, but it can actually detect eight other different cancers. So I'm always about prevention. I'm always about being proactive. I'm always about, same with the iris of the eye. So it can see things long before they become a health challenge within the body. So the more information you have, then you have the ability to then do something about it if you choose. But if you don't know, and I, just like you, I know many people that, you know, they're fine and all of a sudden they're not and they go and they get tested and they're in stage four cancer and six months later they're dead. Now, I would assume that if any of those people had ever had the CA blood test or any of the other cancer marker tests done prior and they had an option to do something ahead of time, I think they would. Absolutely. Right? I think they would. So I just want you to know, I want you to take a guess. How much money do you think in Ontario, Canada, the CEA blood test cost? Just take a wild guess. Well, I'm not sure. Is uh, Canada similar to America? But I would think not huge. Like, I I don't know. Just take a guess. 100 bucks. 35. $35. Okay, so it might be 37 now, but it's in that way. So when somebody says, oh, we don't do, when a physician would tell my patients, no, we don't do that test because it's too expensive. And I know it costs $35. And I'm like, really? That's too expensive. Okay, so let me just say, okay, well, I think it's better than, let's just put a patient on, I know I'm jumping all over the place, but I will tie it all together. (laughs) So... Let me just say, I have a patient who um, came to me only once and then decided to go chemotherapy and radiation, and that's fine. He passed away very shortly after that, and um, his medication that they gave him, uh, so this is from the Cancer Center in Canada, in Ontario, one of our um, hospitals in Hamilton, um, which is a cancer clinic. The medication cost 7000 $660 a month. Okay. So the Ontario government pays for it because he was over 65 years old. So over 65, your medications paid for. So, okay. So my comparison to this is monthly, the taxpayers are paying $7,660 compared to what if he had had a $35 test prior and could have Changes diet and everything to and other things, right? Yeah, exactly. So, my patients were not. I wasn't getting any success with my patients being able to get the CEA blood test. So I went to my members of parliament federally and provincially, and I talked to them about you know what is going on. See, I didn't know. Okay, so and they said, well, for every politician, there are at least four lobbyists from pharmaceutical companies. Okay. And you can't fight it. You just can't fight it. So 
I wanted every document. I wanted the amount of money that went from federal to provincial into our healthcare system. I wanted, I wanted what money was spent on labs. I wanted the whole bit. And within a few clicks, I actually found the CEA blood test. And beside it, it said the CEA blood test cannot be used for prevention. The CEA blood test cannot be used for prevention under OHIP rules and regulations. And then when you clicked on that, it said due to the Cancer Act. And I was like, what? The Cancer Act? Excuse me? Never heard of such a thing. Never. I never heard of such a thing. So I then went to my member of parliament to look for the Cancer Act. And we had a difficult time finding it. Now we don't have... Now, all you have to do in Ontario is put in Ontario Cancer Act and it pops up because I've spoke about it enough. And I have many people, you know, doing research now on it and researching it for themselves that it pops up right away. But before it didn't. Okay. So in the Cancer Act, so this is it, the Cancer Act of Ontario. So um, it's only three or four pages long. So number five, it says the object. The object of the foundation, so the foundation is actually the people or a corporation within our healthcare system that actually manages the money. Doesn't that make you go, hmm? Makes me go, hmm? So the object of the foundation is to establish and conduct a program of research, diagnosing, and treatment of cancer. Okay, let me read it again. It says research, the program conduct a program of research, diagnosing, and treatment of cancer. It does not say to prevent or cure. So they're going to do conduct research, but the research is actually on how can we diagnose differently and how can we treat differently. It's not on cure or prevention. The only times the word cure or prevent comes up is actually in section 15, where it says, subject to the approval of the Lieutenant Governor and Council, the foundation may apply for or acquire by purchase, assignment or otherwise, rights in any patent relating to any remedy, so remedy is anything natural, for the prevention or cure of cancer and may sell and dispose thereof or of any interest therein and grant or assign any rights that have been acquired by the foundation thereunder. The only time the words cure, prevent come up are when they can, the foundation can actually take a natural remedy away from you. Which they're doing and all around the world. They are, and they've been doing it for a long time. And uh, one more thing, it says subject number 14, subject to the approval of the Lieutenant Governor and Council, the foundation may acquire by purchase or lease or make or may enter upon, take and use without the consent of the owner thereof and any land and buildings that are considered suitable for the purpose of the foundation and may erect buildings, acquire and install machinery and equipment and purchase all such instruments, material and appliances and other matters and things that are considered necessary. So if you wonder why there are no natural clinics in Ontario to cure cancer, that's why. Because they can just come and take your land and they can say, we need it, and you don't have any rights, and they can take it from you. And which they do, and they do it in the States as well, and the, you know, the regulations is all, they don't want the natural cures, even though they've got way more success rate 
they go for the chemo, they go for the surgery. It's all about the yeah. money. And it's sad. So, yeah. And when the Cancer Act first came into um, an act, it actually began in England and then within months was passed down to Ontario. But it actually was around the exact same time as Renee Casey, um, who discovered SEACT. And I'm sure you've heard of SEACT. Have you? No, no. Okay. So Renee Casey was a Native American. Um, her grandmother was a Native American. And she worked in a cancer clinic and she was actually given the right to treat patients. And what she would do was she'd make this uh, herbal tea up um, and she injected it into patients. This is all logged. Um, she injected it intravenously into patients. The doctors said, basically this patient's going to die and she injected it into them and they lived. And uh, so there is documentation where doctors presented all these cases and they felt that they should continue doing it. The pharmaceutical companies uh, wanted to buy it off her. She wouldn't sell it to them unless they were going to use it. They said they you know, wouldn't guarantee they were going to use it. So she wouldn't sell it to them. And then lo and behold, the cancer act came in. Is it a coincidence? Uh, I don't know. The cancer act has actually been around in Ontario since the late 1930s. It's reviewed on a regular basis and it hasn't changed much because I actually went to the Osgood Law Hall in Toronto and actually got all the copies prior, like all back to 1939 and when it began. And I actually got the one, a copy of it from England as well and how it all began. Now, I believe that it began because they were trying to protect people from unscrupulous people wanting, you know, coming up with falsehoods, I can cure you. I get that. I understand that. But we've come a long way. And if somebody gets well by taking SEACT, or if someone gets well by taking the Hoxie formula, or if someone gets well by taking liposomal encapsulated vitamin C or 714X, and they live and they get well when they were told they wouldn't live, then I believe we should be open-minded enough to say, hey, maybe there's a basis to this. Exactly. And I'm just curious as well with that act that came in, because it was in the 30s as well that uh, Royal Raymond Rife had his system and he was mm -hmm. curing all the people as well of cancer. And they basically did they destroyed him, you know, they infiltrated the company and they set him up and he just turned to alcohol, unfortunately, but it was around the same time. So, you know, I'd say they realized, mm -hmm. okay, our money's on the line here. How do we stop this? Right. And that's why a lot of clinics have gone to Mexico is, you know, from the States. So Hoxie, here's one. Uh, so I've recently worked with a patient um, who was told they had an aggressive form of cancer breast cancer. And um, it's a triple negative breast cancer, meaning it's not receptive to estrogen or progesterone or HER2. So um, there, it's a lesser known, not lesser known, but less people get it. And um, they think it more of a genetic issue. So, um, you know, the mass within three weeks of taking the Hoxie formula and nutritional supplements and homeopathic to deal with the mental emotional state, the mass has decreased by two centimeters, two centimeters in three weeks. And which like the mammograms, because that's radiation and they're pressing down on the breast. That's probably causing more damage than actually 
because they're saying, oh, let's test people. But the reality is they're probably causing damage with that. So with that, every time they have a dye-based like CT scan or MRI, they are injecting radioactive material into their body. And they're saying, uh, you know, they have to do it to be able to get the images, right? So, you know, understanding the more you do that, you're accumulating more into your body with all of that. There actually has been places that have are no longer using mammograms because they do believe that, that they are causing more damage than whatnot. And let's go back to the cancer markers. I find that with my patients, when they come to see me, they've been diagnosed with cancer and I'll say, okay, bring your scans with you, bring your blood work with you. And almost 99% of the times they're, they have not had cancer markers done. And I'll go, okay, I would ask you to ask your oncologist to get whatever cancer marker is related to that cancer, get it done. And they've been told, well, they don't use them. And instead, again, same thing, instead of paying, you know, $55 or $75 for a blood test, they'd rather do, they'd rather do a CAT scan, which costs thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars, right? So if you're going to do surgery, or if you're going to do a treatment, don't you want to know where the baseline was before you start doing treatments? Like, to me, right? Why are we spending, why would you then not want to do the blood work as a backup and something to guide you and as a benchmark, but let's just spend thousands of dollars on MRIs and CT scans, which have wait lists and people can't get to, and let's inject them with radiation instead of just doing a simple blood test. I'm not saying they don't need the other tests, but I'm saying, why don't they? And 99% of the time, my patients have never even heard of these blood tests until I educate them. And then when they go back to their oncologist, they're asking, why, can't, why, why haven't I had this done? And I know one of the answers one of my patients told me was they said, well, they don't use it because they're, it's not going to change their treatment. Well, I, I get it. it. They're only focused on doing chemotherapy and radiation and surgery. I get that. I understand that. But why, again, would you not want to know? Because then would that not help you to know? If the treatment's working, and if it's working, maybe you don't need to do it for as long as you, you know, whatever they've they've deemed is the necessary treatment, right? In doing it that, and so like there's with, lots of things. With all the like all the specialists in this, they have to know because I mean, I'm not a doctor, and I know all these things. You know, true research. Yep. Are they just being ignorant, or are they just loyal to the dollar? Because they're all doing it. I mean, they like that test that you're talking about, like that's the first protocol. And with the surgery, not only the huge cost, because some people like they don't have the money, they remortgage, they go bankrupt. So not only are you trying to recover from a serious illness, but the stress then of losing your house or your business or your marriage or whatever is. And that's what kicks a lot of people over the line. And exactly. it's, It's a sick, it's a sickness industry. And, and what it is, well, actually, I call it a fear-driven industry is what I call it, right? So, and one thing that they never deal with is the person's mental emotional state. And I've read multiple books on, from holistic healthcare practitioners that say cancer is not a disease. Cancer is a wake-up call for you to recognize that things are not right within your body. 
not just your body, but your whole holistic, your whole, your wholeness, right? Your mental, emotional state. Well, stress, stress depletes your immune system. So it's been said, I've read in many books that we actually, most people deal with cancer five or six times in their body and don't even know they're dealing with it. Because cancer is when one cell goes astray. And if you're healthy, if your immune system is healthy enough, your immune system can look after it. But if your immune system is not healthy enough, then it can't look after it. And then that one cell will go straight. Now, I understand that there are some that are genetic, but very few. I understand that there are some cancers that are created because of a toxicity. I understand that. But the majority of cancers, I believe, start from our mental emotional state. And when we are too reactive to life situations, we use up our energy. We use up our immune system. Stress depletes our immune system. And when we're depleted, then our body's not able to deal with cells that have gone astray. And cancer starts with one cell that's gone astray. And then it multiples, it multiplies and multiplies and multiplies. And so you have to deal with the mental emotional state. And I have on my website for the Phoenix Rising Center, a couple that she had Hodgkin's lymphoma and she actually had chemo and then she had a stem cell transplant. She was in her twenties. Then she went and the cancer returned every time she went to Mexico and had extensive treatments for thousands and thousands of dollars and the cancer returned. She came to see me in September and I'm going to say it's 2012, if I recall correctly, don't quote me on the exact time, but I know it was in September. And then in, <clears throat> so we did homeopathic and got to the root cause, mental, emotional state. And I did a protocol um, on her of applying a salve on the outside because she knew where the lymphs were involved in her cancer. And the salve pulled masses out and we worked on her mental, emotional state. And in February, of the following year, her blood work was normal for the first time since she had been diagnosed from September to February. So during that year, she did lots of things. She did coffee enemas. She did the liposomal encapsulated vitamin C. She did SEACT. She did lots of natural things as well as taking her homeopathic medicine. And with that, it her homeopathic medicine helped her to deal with life situation. It doesn't change life situations. They're always going to be there, but it helps us to deal with it. I believe everybody should be on their constitutional homeopathic medicine. It helps to keep your vitality within your body. We are a vital force. And that's what homeopathy does. Helps people um, stimulate and keep their vital force up within their body to be able to deal with both mental, emotional issues and physical issues going on in the system. So as time went on, um, she started to have uh, her menses again. So she, I said to her, well, you do realize that if you're having your menses or your period, then you could get pregnant. And she goes, no, I was told a, when I had the stem cell transplant and I went into menopause. So she was in her twenties and went into menopause. She said, cause that's what it does to your body a stem cell transplant does. She said, I was told that I would never be able to have children again. Well, she had, 
she did get pregnant and she had a little baby girl. And both the little baby girl and her are doing well. I actually seen her last week. And um, yeah. So, you know, when I say when one person gets well, you know, from doing natural treatments and homeopathy and dealing with the mental emotional state, that's research. But see, they say homeopathy, they say, um, you know, there's no research done. Well, yeah, if someone gets well, that's research, right? That's proven. It's proven to you. Oh, it was a placebo effect. Really? <laughs> she already did, you know, chemo and stem cell transplant and all these other things. The only thing different she did was take homeopathic medicine. And she did a herbal salve treatment on the outside to pull the tumors out. So, you know, if we, and what's the statistics now for cancer? That 50% of the population will get cancer in their lifetime. 50%. Do you know that now my patients, when they go, if they do do, you know, chemo or radiation or things like that, they aren't told they're cured anymore. When I first started into complementary health, it was if they lasted 12 years after chemo or treatment, then they were cured. And then it became 10 years, then it became seven, then it became five, then it became three, then it became one. And now they don't even say you're cured. They say you're in remission because they expect it to come back. These aren't my words. These are not my words. This is what my patients are told. Nope, you're not cured. You're only in remission now, right? Mm -hmm. And so if the statistics are continue to grow that more and more people are gonna get cancer and now they don't even cure it, you just go into remission, then shouldn't we be doing and looking at something different? Like everybody. So if, you know, like we have a publicly funded healthcare sum, but it's not publicly funded. It is, it is through our taxes. So, you know, people should have the right to be able to do whatever they want in complementary health. And in Ontario, under the College of Physicians and Surgeons, it actually states in their bylaws under complementary and alternative health that people are actually turning to, let me read it correctly. So it comes, it says, um, in increasing numbers, uh, patients are looking to complementary medicine for answers to complex medical problems, strategies, and improved wellness or relief from acute medical symptoms. Patients may seek advice or treatment from Ontario physicians or from other health care providers. But when they do that, there's no cooperation. So my patients actually and it says patients have the right to make healthcare decisions that accord with their own values, wishes, and preferences. Values, wishes, and preferences. So in Ontario, we as taxpayers pay for our healthcare system. We pay for our doctors. We, they have in writing that the patient has a choice to make, but they really don't. Because only if you go their route is it paid for under OHIP, Ontario Hospitalization Insurance Plan. If you do seek a, a practitioner like myself, even though I'm a regulated healthcare practitioner, if you seek me, it's not covered by OHIP, you have to pay for it. So how is that? How how is that justified? Right? It isn't. Sick. And if people are choosing and they know they are choosing, not just as an adjunct to uh, traditional, you know, doctors but they're choosing to do complementary health as their total health care, but they have to pay for it. 
So like in Ontario with a healthcare system that we pay for as taxpayers, they don't have a choice. Just like you said about financial challenges. So, you know, when they go through the system and they're told they have cancer and it's free, their chemo and radiation is and surgery is free. Well, some of it is, but lots of times then they find out the, the medicine that they need for the side effects isn't, and they have to pay for all of that. And many people have to do fundraisers to do that, right? But why aren't we implementing complementary health and dealing with the whole body holistically, mental, emotional state? Why aren't we doing prevention? Because it's they a want money. cost more for life. Yeah. And if they heal you, if, if you actually get well, they don't make money off you. Right? Exactly. And You're like a statistic. When you go there to get the chemo or the surgery, they never investigate it. It's like, let's cut out a piece, whether it's in the brain or a part of the body. They never investigate how could this have happened to stress the person's life. And then it just comes back and people, whether they have a bad lifestyle, they're not educated. You need to change mm -hmm. this, you know, whether it's drinking, you know, diet colas and all these toxic ingredients that could have caused yeah. it. They're not educated in that and they're happy enough for you. Get the, you know, prescriptions, pay monthly and they don't yeah. care if you, if you lose everything in the, on the journey. Yeah, I had a gentleman who had, um, actually he came, I did an iridology evaluation. I seen a dark marker in the colon uh, rectal area. And uh, so I said, you know, I think you need to get a smear test. So it's, you just do a fecal test and they test to see if there's blood in your fecal sample. And um, so we did that and they found microscopic blood in his fecal. So they did a colonoscopy on him and they found a mass. They removed the mass. He had surgery and um, it was stage four colon cancer. And so I had recommended that he got the CEA blood test. His CEA blood test was just slightly over the normal range and it was stage four. And it had metastasized to his lungs. He, I think they did part. Okay. So they eventually did the surgery on his lung to take the mass out and, um, but he didn't, he would not do chemo. And uh, so his levels in his CEA blood test and in other cancer markers continued to stay high. And we talked a lot about the stress levels in his life and his job and his family life and what was going on. And when he made a total change, quit his job, they moved and he didn't do anything other than that. All of his cancer markers dropped down because it was stress that was creating it. Mm -hmm. So when people, you know, I talk to people and I talk to them about drinking water, you need to drink more water. And I have people say, oh, I don't like water. Really? Do you like dying? <laughs> right? It's not logic to me. That's not logic to me. Right? So you either want to live and help yourself. And I've had patients that will come back and they haven't done any changes. And that's fine. That's their choice. But after the third time, they come back and they haven't made any changes. And I say to them, well, why are you coming? And I mean, if you're just coming to listen to me and pay me, that's fine. But I take my job seriously and I want you to get well. So I could use my time better. And I know I might sound terrible, but I could use my time and energy on someone who truly wants to get well. Right. Oh, so I agree with you. I think you're dead right to do that. Yeah.
right? And sometimes that could be the wake up call, you know, just having that conversation. It's like a slap that they go, okay, yeah, I need to actually make a change. And if they don't, you're dead right way, you know, better Mm because you've only so many hours in the day and better to help the people that want to be healed. Yep. And uh, so the Phoenix, uh, two things I want to make sure I share. So the Phoenix Rising Center is actually a nonprofit organization. So I changed my business from my business uh, several years ago to full-time doing it as the Phoenix Rising Center, which is a nonprofit organization. So when people come, they have to pay for their products that they get, or if I do live blood on them, like my microscope behind me, or I do urinalysis or whatever I do, they have to pay for the products, but my time they give as a donation. And um, so that way people that truly can't afford, you know, at the time because of financial stress and stuff like that, they, they give what they can and other people give more. I also have people that give on a monthly basis to support other people so that they have the availability to come and access um, complimentary health because all the people that give have actually been patients and have gotten well. So they oh, give yeah. a monthly donation to help others. So oh, that's, that's how that's the nice. Phoenix rising that's center grow right. as well. That's, that's, that's beautiful there. And I, I don't think people realize yeah. as well, cause you've got all these uh, different cancer charities and I mean, I've researched charities, a lot of them, the money doesn't go, for the right causes and it's run by the right. bad boys and, and sometimes a lot of these charities it's like one percent goes to, but their aim isn't to create a cure because if you even if you just have one thought and go okay they're working on this for years raising money mm-hmm. and cancer is going through the roof yeah they're not doing exactly. very well mm-hmm. so here's another thing in ontario actually this is in canada we have um a compassion law it was actually brought in uh, by Prime, Prime Minister Brian Mulroney, who, you know, that was years and years ago, but it actually was about a product called 714X. So we have this in our laws in Canada under the Compassion Act that if someone has tried everything, they can actually get this product called 714X. It's actually manufactured, manufactured in Quebec. So right next to Ontario's border, okay, right there. Like it's like 12 hours away, 10 hours away to drive there. And as a practitioner, I cannot get it. I cannot get this product for my patients because it uh, has been proven to cure cancer and other diseases. So this particular um, biochemist, um, Gaston, his last name is N-A-E, S-S-E-N-S, and I've actually spoke with him. He speaks very little English, so his wife translates for him, but they actually contacted me because I did an article. I did a YouTube video on 714X. I didn't know them, but I've read their material. I read the data on it, and um, I was just appalled that here we have this product in Canada that he's actually been raked through the coals, taken to court. You know, they almost bankrupt him. Uh, for the work he did. And yet his patients came and they went on the, uh, they stood up in court and testified. I took this product 714X and I got well, I was cured. So he was never charged, but I mean, the amount of money he had to pay for lawyers and everything else and how they tied him up. Because when you're under investigation, you can't, 
you can't um, still work and do what you're doing. So this product is um, from camphor, camphor trees, and other things are in it, but it's an injection in your lymphatic system. And so it has already been proven. He's got several books out. People have written about it, the court cases, everything. And it's on the compassion list. I tr I've tried to get it for my patients and you can't get it unless you've done chemotherapy and radiation, unless you've done the traditional way. And then if nothing else has worked, then you can apply to get 714X. But because depending on what doctor they're working with or oncologist, if they don't believe in anything complimentary, they don't try very hard to get it for their patient, right? But here we have this. So they can ship 714X anywhere in the world, but they can't ship it to a practitioner here in Canada. <laughs> you, you just need you just need to send it over to somewhere, re relabel it and send it back. <laughs> you know what i mean but that's that's, that's what sad, i'm saying it? but it I, is sad, I, I, right i mean i've seen that constantly through the years it, it is and they're getting away with it you know and even the same with what's going on now with the vaccines and everything. you you know it's all corruption all the bad boys organizing everything it's all about who they've funded how they're doing it and mm -hmm. because the media is regurgitating these lies unfortunately people sit in front of the televisions and they're believing the lies and then they're queuing mm -hmm. up to get vaccine and it's it's the same thing it's a corrupt evil industry that they're you know falling prey to right so you brought up the topic of vaccinations so as a as a homeopath i am not i have been told i am not allowed to talk about vaccinations because apparently it's not in my standard of care it's not in my what i'm allowed to deal with so in that aspect, right? So with that, but I have a conscience. I have children, I have grandchildren, right? I also see statistics. Now I can't prove it because there's not research done, but you know what I have, it's funny because my daughter just asked me if I had her chart of when she was vaccinated. So I'm 62 years old. So I have children, I have grandchildren. So when I was vaccinated, so this is what I want people to hear. I was vaccinated as a kid, but the vaccinations that I received when I was a kid were minimal compared to what children get today. When my daughter was vaccinated, like, you know, early childhood, so I have three children, they all got vaccinated, but their vaccinations were minimal. And it wasn't until my daughter was in grade seven or eight when they came up with this HPV, I think is what it's called, that, I, that my husband and I really started to look at vaccinations because that's when I was, was sick. And with my muscular issue, I had read a lot about mercury and neurological toxins and stuff like that. So I had the amalgam fillings taken out of my mouth. So people will say it has nothing to do with it. Okay, well, listen to my story. So as I'm sitting in the dentist chair and they're taking the amalgam fillings out of my mouth. They had to put in a little vial that had toxic material on it. They were dressed differently. My dentist and his assistant were dressed differently. They had different goggles on. So when it was done, I said, why are you putting them in that vial? He says, because we can't throw it in the garbage because it's toxic material. Well, if it's toxic material in the vial, is it not toxic material in my mouth? Oh, no, no, they're safe. You, that doesn't even make common sense, yeah. right? That's just, uh, so remember I told you I'm stubborn? 
So my dentist, I said, well, I want you to write that because we had asked for a quote to see about getting the amalgam fillings taken out of my mouth from our dentist, from our uh, benefit package. And they said, no, we can't pay for it. You're doing it for cosmetic reasons. Uh, no, I'm not doing it for cosmetic reasons, right? Anyways, so I would not leave my dentist's office until he wrote a letter that said, she will not leave my office. <laughs> and I made him write that in a letter. And then I sent that to Great West Life, which was our benefit package at the time through Stelco, where my husband worked, and they paid for it. And, and I got my yeah. notice, well, I had four. And I remember when I went to, they didn't, I don't believe they dressed up the differently maybe they did i didn't pay attention but all i remember is what they put around my mouth it was like a balloon on my mouth so that and they had a lot more suctions going on that there mm -hmm. would be no fragments going into my body right and so this is how it started for my daughter so here i am going through this and we're paying for all this money to get things done right and um our daughter comes home with this note about this hpv vaccine she's in grade seven so um, she's in her thirties now. So that's how long ago it was. And my husband reads and he goes, do you understand that in this vaccine, they actually have mercury? He's going, we're paying for mercury to be taken out of your mouth. Why would we be having her take a needle, an injection with mercury in it? And that was where my journey began with vaccinations. So at this point in time, I'm going to say, in my opinion, because I had a lawyer actually talk to me and say, you're, you you know, you're right on when you're speaking, but you need to say, in my opinion, more often, because you're allowed to still have an opinion. But nowadays, I don't know if we're allowed to have an opinion anymore. Honestly, because I don't know, even our charter rights, we're not allowed to talk, we're not allowed to have an opinion. So a lot of things I don't even post on my Phoenix Rising Center's YouTube or um, Facebook, because I'm not allowed to have an opinion as a healthcare practitioner. Uh, that's wrong. How can I not have an opinion? I'm a natural healthcare practitioner. I believe in doing things naturally, right? But we're not allowed to. And then when the COVID-19 vaccination came out, we got another thing from our college saying, we are not allowed to speak about that at all, at all. We're not allowed to speak about it. So if a patient comes, and then there was a little thing, if your patient comes and persists to talk about the COVID-19 vaccination, because if it's it's out of your field of practice, you're not supposed to talk about vaccinations, then you need to um, give it a balanced perspective. So you need to talk about it from both sides, from maybe from a holistic point of view of not taking it, but also from taking it. So I thought to myself, I wonder if any medical doctors do that. I wonder if the advertisements that are all out there now, do they do that? Do they give a balanced perspective? I've yet to see that, yeah. right? So why am I held under this double standard and they're not? So this is my balanced perspective. So I say to them, I tell them, I'm not allowed to talk about vaccinations, but I can tell you that I've done a little bit of research. And if you go on the CDC website, Center for Disease Control, under VAERS, Vaccine Adverse uh, Reaction Site, you can actually plug in COVID-19. I mean, it doesn't make it, they don't make it easy. I actually made a YouTube video on this. They don't make it easy to be able to find this information, but you can actually go on there and you can actually pull up COVID-19 vaccination. You can actually put in side effects, what side effects and deaths from day one. 
And you can see how they continue to rise. From day one, people have died of the COVID-19 vaccination. And that's my perspective. I don't tell them what to do or how to do it. And even like, because we've seen the CDC have been doctoring figures, so they'll be doctoring them in their favor. So I'd say you could add an, an extra zero or two zeros to what they're actually telling you. That Well, actually, all... the with that, um, they actually state that less than 10% of adverse reactions actually ever get, um, a, that people actually go to that website and actually put the adverse reactions in. So less than 10% actually submit the adverse reaction so then you can multiply it by 90 percent right maybe i don't know but yeah. they say less than 10 percent actually do it so it's interesting i had someone send this to me it says pfizer uh, covid19 vaccination short-term efficacy and safety data and they actually highlighted a few things and it says it's pretty it's pretty foggy it's not crisp and clear. So give me a second. It says in subjects 65 to 74 years old, the vaccine may be only 53% effective. And in subjects 75 years and older, the vaccine may only be zero effective. Makes sense to jab yourself with that, doesn't it? <laughs> right. People 65 years and older um, compromise about 80% um, comprise about 80% of all COVID-19 deaths. This isn't my, like, this is their, right? Can you see that? Yeah. That's their, and yeah. And then this person also highlighted, since only two hospitalized cases of COVID-19 were observed for the clinical trial. (laughs) That's good good to know. (laughs) Unbelievable. Really? Right? And so you can pull this out, but do people do it? No, no. Right? And so you make a decision on that, on what's in your body. And again, so, you know, I could even, so two things. I've always thought about, okay, the increased number of vaccinations children go through, okay? Is it coincidental for the increased number of children that get leukemia? Is it a coincidence of the, increased number of children that get brain tumors? Is there a coincidence that goes with vaccinations? I don't think you'll ever see that research, honest research, true research. I think the only way you'll ever gonna know that kind of stuff is if you actually asked parents, did your child get vaccinated? Someone that had leukemia or you know, childhood cancer, did your child get vaccinated? I don't think that research will ever be done. Do I have an answer? I don't have an answer. Do I have common sense? I have common sense. That's what I see. Yeah. You know, where, wh- why? In my, I mean, I'm 62 years old. I don't ever remember a child that I went to school with. And I moved a lot. I've seen a lot of kids. I don't ever remember a child getting cancer. My kids yeah, going to I school. Don't, I don't. Or does, even with the autism and everything. There's so many yes. things now. We didn't have that. Mm-hmm. And um, even my children going to school. So my oldest is 42. My youngest is in the middle 30s. And she's probably going to go, you don't know how old I am? Ah, 36. <laughs> I have to go through. Okay, this one's this old. Three years She'd later. She'd probably prefer you don't say her age. Say, say early 30s. She'll feel better. <laughs> 
I'm pretty sure it's 36. <laughs> Anyways, between that age group and my children, I don't remember any of their any of them talking about any of their friends having cancer. Right? And then all of a sudden, it was like, wow, what an increase. Is it a coincidence that there's an increase in vaccinations now with children? I don't know. You know, and I can't speculate, right? Because I don't have the research but I do have common sense and it's, it's actually heartbreaking, right? I can't imagine, um, you know, a parent having to go through that. It's bad enough for an adult to have to go through that. Never mind a child to have to go through that. Right. Mm-hmm. And um, could it have been prevented? I don't know. Are there studies on, you know, Mennonites that don't take vaccinations because they don't believe in that. Do they have cancer? Do they have childhood cancers? I don't know. Has there ever been research done on that? A friend that- of mine recently, uh, she's going to a charity and it's actually for the uh, siblings of the children with cancer because when a child has cancer, all the attention goes to that child exactly. and the other child is ignored. And there's serious mm-hmm. problems with that as well. As they grow up, yeah. A mental, emotional state, exactly. That And those are the things that I deal with with people. And that if that doesn't get taken care of for those other siblings, then that depletes their immune system over time. And then you never know what's going to happen with them. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So have you so experienced me, much? Uh, Cause I got kicked off YouTube and I know what you're doing. You're fighting the bad boys. Have they kind of with your Facebook and different things Have they shadow banned you and just kind of, I mean, okay, I've had, so when, I've had thumbs up removed. I've, I've, I track my YouTube. I was watching numbers going back 500 and everything. It's like sick what these, uh, you know, social media companies do. Yeah. So when COVID first started, so back in uh, 2020, I'm going to say maybe March or April, I did a YouTube video on using liposomal encapsulated vitamin C because I had heard about a a practitioner um, that had used it and that all his patients that had COVID got better within five days, shorter term than others. And I use liposomal encapsulated vitamin C. It boosts your immune system. So I talked about boosting your immune system and using liposomal encapsulated vitamin C. I talked a little bit about that study and that got taken down because I talked about prevention. Yeah. Yeah. So I've learned, I've learned. So I've had multiple ones taken down whenever I talk about prevention or doing other things or studies that showed the opposite, right? That you could do other things and to not live in fear. So I've learned to ask questions instead of making statements, right? Mm. I'm not telling you anything. I'm asking a question. So I've tried to learn how to be able to play the game. Is that, is that, yeah. would that be politically correct to say, yeah. right? I've it's learned it's how to unfortunate that we have to do that. Cause like we were doing that as well. And in the end, I just, I, you know, I mean, you need to get your message out. So you like, if you get three strikes or, you know, once you've two, you have to wait a while and you can't put up anything because you mm-hmm. don't want to risk losing your channel. And uh, yeah, yep. it's, it's sad, but there's yep. others rumble and, you know, bit shoot and there's other channels that thankfully will allow you to get your message out. Correct. Unfortunately, I find that it's all time consuming. 
and they're not like I, YouTube is very easy because I've got a few channels. So I, it's only the awakening one is the one that was banned. Yeah. You go in, you put in your video, da, 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 your tags and everything. It is simple and you can track the other ones. You can be always trying to upload them. And at the end of the day, you need to value your time and you have to be. Yeah, so. exactly. And I'd rather be a practitioner. That's what I mean. It's like sometimes I'm like, you know, why am I doing this? But I'm hoping that one person will be able to hear the truth and then go from there. So um, I'm going to share something. I, I don't have it right in front of me, so I don't have the exact wording in front of me. But back in March of 2020, um, because I am a God fearing in a good way, reverent way, um, I believe in Jesus Christ as my personal savior. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I take time in the morning for prayer, Bible reading, and reflective time. And I made a YouTube video about this, but last March, um, so March of 2020, I was in my prayer time and I felt the Holy Spirit. And I know people might think I'm, I'm ready for the loony bin, but this is how I operate. <laughs> I felt the Holy Spirit say to me, why haven't you asked me about the coronavirus? And I laughed because I was like, yes, it's such an important issue. Why haven't I even asked in prayer about this, right? And I felt the Holy Spirit say to me, well, I didn't feel, I know. The Holy Spirit said to me, you know, it's all manipulation. It's all manipulation. Manipulation of your cells in your body and manipulation of your mind. Now, you have to understand back in March of 2020, I knew nothing about, I knew nothing about the vaccinations and what was coming out with all that they wanted to do, right? So, and people can go back and look on my YouTube channel, Diane Elms, back in 2020. And there was two words that I got. One of them was about the um, COVID-19, that it was all manipulation. And then the next one later on was actually about the vaccination. And again, do not take it. It's only the beginning. And I actually attributed, I think I asked the question, is the vaccination attributed to the mark of the beast, which is in Revelation in the Bible? And um, the answer was, it's only the beginning. And you need I, I to... I think it's a got Luciferian is the patent or is the name of the company. Everything, like, I, I was staying away from that because I know there's some other podcast. Every single thing is coming down to Luciferianism. It's, it's scary, like the it's, way... Actually, one of the enzymes they use is actually called that. Like, come on. <laughs> like, hello. Like, yeah. who would want that in their body? <laughs> so, yeah. and I mean, we could go on forever and ever yeah. on different things. And honestly, I was laughing because when you first started, you talked about not a conspiracy theorist. And like, I've I've been called that so many times now. And I'm like, are you serious? So because I know the truth or because I research things and like, doesn't this make sense to you? Or what do you think about this? Is this a coincidence? Look at all this. So Bill Gates's company has, has a microchip. No, don't call it a microchip because then you get taken down. <laughs> you can't, it's called body, body. I don't even have it in front of me. Anyways, but the number that he got was w 0 2020 06 06 06 that was that was the patent number like excuse me people but does this not make you go and when you read through it it's a cashless society 
And, uh, you know, that's all in the Bible and you'll be able to, um, they'll be, you'll be able to do whatever you want. As long as you have this within you and they're tracking you and they'll download money, like cryptocurrency money to you through this, which is going to be in your body and, um, you'll be scanned and, uh, but they'll give you money only if you comply with the things they ask you to do. And one of them will be take a vaccination. Like, I didn't make this up. This is in their documentation. No, everything and like Agenda 21, Agenda 22. They tell you what they're going to do. And people, even when you go out and give it, you give the links that they don't believe you. And then when it happens, they're like, oh, you were right. And it's too late. They just all complain. And, you know, that's <laughs> that, that's why I keep doing this. And I, you know, I liaise with a few other podcasters as well. Is just get the message up. The more to stand up, the faster we can end this. Mm-hmm. I know. And it's like, okay, so like, <laughs> this isn't rocket scientist. I never knew about any of this stuff before. And then all of a sudden, you know, I become awake to all this stuff that's out there, right? Because I've been so focused on fighting the Cancer Act and getting it taken out of our, you know, lobbying our government. And that went nowhere, absolutely nowhere. And unfortunately, if you do not have a member of parliament that will fight it for you, and they're, most will not. They're all owned by the all around the world. Every because I'm looking at governments. All I follow Ireland, the UK, Poland. They are mm-hmm. all we're we're run by Muppets at the moment. There's mm-hmm. there's very few countries that have kind of and, intelligent leaders, or that will stand up, right? Yeah. Who aren't money isn't their first agenda. So. They aren't ruled by they're, money. They're, they're not owned by the corporations because what right? juice, what I've seen is basically anybody that worked in government, then later they're working for the pharmaceuticals or they're working for the vulture funds or their banks or whatever, all the evil corporations because they've been doing what they've been told while they were in power. And, yeah. you know, people need to realize that because it's, it's there, it's black and white. And, you know, you can't just put your head in the sand and go, I can't do nothing about it because that's why they're doing it because we all... You know, we all need to stop it. Yeah, and stand up. And I know I know lots of people don't have their own power, though, to be able to do that. I do understand that, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's why it takes people who can do it to be able to do it. And hopefully more people will gain their own power within to be able to stand up and say and take control of their own lives, their own health, because nobody cares more about your health more than you should right? You should be the one in total control of your health. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's yeah. sad, like, no, because I, I got uh, about two, three weeks ago, I got ill and I like, I don't know what it was. It was really bad flu because I think, I don't know, is the Corona orchestrated that it's, it's spread, but I was in terrible sweats. I was really, and I was, no way was I going to go to the hospital. And I basically got like the vitamin C, the vitamin D, zinc echinacea iodine and straight away i was granted oh and you lived (laughs) (laughs) but i know that if i went there they'd ram a pcr test up my nose and yeah so but it's sad because there's people i mean there is times that you need to get things done in the hospital and now those that are awake and realize the corruption they're afraid to go there because they know Mm -hmm. that the chances of them actually really trying to help you are extremely slim and you know it's a like shame on all the doctors that are part of this and just pretending that oh it's it's just the system as it is because 
they need to stand up as soon as if they all changed and said no way are we complying to this it would stop mm-hmm. but they're all yeah. they're all happy having their you know million dollar bank accounts well i have a piece of property that i'm looking at that i'm praying about and um it i believe that the end result will be around 19 million dollars i know that sounds like a lot of money but it really isn't it's already got, so I wrote a book called Living on Go, and in it, I actually describe what I feel the Phoenix Rising Center will be, and uh, to its fullest, and this building is exactly it. So I think if everybody fundraised for me <laughs> for the Phoenix Rising Center, and we bought this building, because it actually has a little hospital in it, and all the rooms and all of that, all the people that are awake will then have a facility to be able to come and be taken care of. <laughs> Yeah. And I mean, I, I think as well, reach because there is some of the influencers out there that are actually, um, you know, talking up, which is because at the start they weren't, but I'm seeing more and more. You get a few of them on board, they start spreading the information because, yeah, look, you've got, I mean, your website has got the different people, you know, talking about, you know, that they've been cured. You know, we all know uh-huh. the, the, what how people feel after going through the chemotherapy or the surgery, you know, they yeah they all it's grand until six months mm-hmm. later it returns and then they go sorry but uh yeah, yeah you already have one lung removed yeah not not your lucky day unfortunately that's yeah. the way there but the hope is that the phoenix rising center like will specialize oh oh sorry we'll have experience in uh drugless cancer care but we'll be working with all patients right because all patients deserve to have that option mm. yeah well, that, so. i think that's beautiful listen yeah it's been wonderful speaking to you. How can people get in contact with you? So um, my email address is founder at Phoenix Rising Center and center is spelled C-E-N-T-E-R.ca. My office number is 905-768-0848. And website is phoenixrisingcenter.ca. Um, we're located in Hagersville, Ontario right now, but the dream is to have this bigger piece of property and, um, yeah, this whole facility that we can handle more patients and, and everybody can have the option, no matter what your financial situation is and that the mission statement is on the website. Yeah. Yeah. And I, mm-hmm. I think dreams become reality when you throw them out there. So yeah. I wish I wish people will actually start supporting you and you get get it thank done you. as fast as possible. So Amen on that one. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you very much. And I put all the, the links in the description of the, the, the podcast as well as on the video. Okay, perfect. Thank you okay. so much. It was it was a pleasure doing this. Thank you very much. So that's all for the Awakening Podcast. You'll find all our episodes on awakeningpodcast.org. We're on Bichuda's Awakening Podcast. Please give us a thumbs up, a share, and a nice comment. Until next week, take care.